Oh Lord our God, we are going to consider the very heart of the message of the gospel, even our reconciliation with you, because of your love, your grace, in Jesus our Lord. We pray that you may so speak to us as to get into our hearts that we may be willing to yield to you our heartfelt trust in Jesus our Lord. For his sake we pray. Amen. Now let us turn back to Romans chapter 5. And we take our text this morning from verses 10 to 11. Do look at it, it is a very important passage. For if we, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In these two verses we were told when we were enemies, enemies of God, God reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. And therefore Christ we have received the reconciliation now. Over the past few weeks we have been considering a number of key words concerning the gospel of God's grace. Last week we looked at the word propitiation. A big word, isn't it? Propitiation. Do you remember what it means? Propitiation, what it means? Well, I hope you can still remember. Propitiation is referring to that means of turning away God's wrath against sinners by the death of his son. The righteous God is righteously angry with sinners. And propitiation is that means which God, the Holy One, uses to turn away his wrath from sinners. So that is the meaning of propitiation. And this morning we are going to consider another word relating to the very heart of the gospel. And this word is easier. It's the word reconciliation. Now when I mention propitiation, you might be opening your mouth and say, what are you talking about? But 
where the Bible mentioned reconciliation, I trust we all have some sort of understanding about what is reconciliation. I don't want to open up wounds that hurt, but I won't be surprised that this morning a number of us, if not most of us, we would have dear ones, loved ones, relatives, even our own family members who are estranged to us or estranged from us. Once they were dear to us, they stand in a very close relationship to us, but because of something which happened, we are no longer talking. Maybe they are not talking to us. Maybe we find it difficult to talk to them and relate to them. And it will be an embarrassment for us to see each other. We don't know what to say. We'll feel nervous. And worse still, we don't have any contact anymore. And sometimes it may not be our fault at all. We really want reconciliation. We really want to be able to sit down together with them in a family meal, over a cup of coffee, or yum cha, dim sim lunch, but it is no longer possible. And it hurts them. Some of you know that. It hurts tremendously, deeply. You dearly want reconciliation, but there is that barrier. There is something which happened which cannot be reversed. I know some of you do not like computer, but with computer there's something good. They have a reset button, isn't it? You mark up your computer, it's in a mess now. Well, it depends on uh, what are you using. Uh, I remember years ago, we got a computer and you got a recovery disk. We were told if you mark up everything, just press that recovery disk into that slot, everything shall be go back to the factory setting. With human relationship, there's no reset button. You can't wipe out the past. But reconciliation is still possible, isn't it? And we rejoice when that happens. Now, just now I talk about personal relationship with dear ones and loved ones. But look at the world as it is. Well, it's not in an absolute mess, but it is very dangerous, isn't it? Some experts are saying, World War III is coming soon. You don't think so? Or a perpetual global financial crisis. 
or the climate is going to change so much as to stir up all kinds of hostilities. We live in a very fragmented world. People are talking. There's going to be a third war. The war in Ukraine. The war in the Middle East. Where's the third war? It's within America. America is again itself. Hostilities everywhere. Suspicions. Now it's easy for us to say, well, it's worth doing wrong. It should be doing what it's doing in Gaza. But what would you do if you were the Prime Minister of Israel? What would you do if one of your family members got killed in that terrorist atrocity? The world is like out, and we long for reconciliation. Now let's backtrack a, a bit. It's not really logical, but I want to go back to just mention these four words to you that we have been trying to learn. Remember that word? Justification? It's the language of the law courts. The accused brought before the court, the judge pronounced that person to be righteous. Another word? Redemption? It's the language of slave market. You were captured, you were enslaved, but the ransom price was paid for your head, you were set free. Last week, propitiation. And this morning, reconciliation. Now, the outset, I want to say this to you. Reconciliation is the result of propitiation, redemption, and justification. If you are quick, turn to your Bible, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. What does it say there? Paul says to Christian people, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see? First of all, we must learn how to be justified before the holy and just God. Then we must learn how we as sinners, the guilty, can be brought before the court of God and the holy and just God pronounce us to be not guilty, but righteous. And friends, I'll stop here and ask you this question. This morning, do you know that you have been justified by God? Do you feel you are not guilty before God, but positively righteous? How do you feel? How do you feel? Now some of you are going to ask me, Pastor, well, tell me how. 
Then just begin the service by a prayer of the confession of our sins. And they say, Pastor, honestly, I feel I'm a sinner. How can I be justified? Now, here is the secret. As Martin Luther discovered and taught us, as is there in the Bible, a Christian is someone who is simultaneously a sinner and a justified person. Let me explain. In the depth of our being, in our consciousness, in our conscience, we know we not only have sinned, but we are still sinning, and, and we will still sin. Even in church. Even as I'm preaching the sermon, I may be tempted to cry or despair. Yes. In terms of my experience, I'm a sinner. But because I've trusted my souls to Jesus as covered in Christ, hidden in Him, belong to Him, God, the Holy and the Just One, has pronounced me not guilty, but righteous as I am in Christ. I'm clothed with His righteousness. Now friends, I hope you do know this. You know both. I'm a sinner and I'm a justified person simultaneously. Now going back to Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Now having been justified by faith, this is my status. I peace with God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to consider reconciliation. But to, to understand it, we must go back to the very beginning of man's rebellion against God. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the ABC. What happened in the Garden of Eden? You know, people were saying to us, what's a big deal? Eating an apple. The Bible doesn't even say that it was an apple anyway. It wasn't the quality of the fruit. But man is why chose to say to God, I don't believe you. I don't trust you, you're good. I don't trust you're the God of love. I believe you're mean. You're not gracious. You want to put us under bondage and we have chosen now to rebel against you. We want to be gods. We don't want to be your people. It was a cosmic rebellion. And it happened. What happened after that? The man is why became alienated from God. Before they rebel against God, they were having delightful fellowship, friendship with the living God. They were so happy for God's visit to them in the cool of the day uh, that they could worship the Lord. 
It was a blessed time. But now, when they heard the footstep of God and the voice of God, they were hiding in the bushes, so to say. They were alienated from God. They denied His presence. No. We don't want to face up to God. We, we don't want Him. We want to stay away from Him. That is alienation. Alienation. And because of what? Because of that barrier of their rebellion. The barrier, the matter, was sin. They didn't quite know it, but because of their guilty conscience, because of their rebellion against God, now they don't like God. Now some of you may be in this position this morning. Some of you may have to say, honestly, I don't like the worship of God. I don't feel like coming to church this morning, but I'm dragged here. First, I want to ask you, is it your joy and delight to come to the worship of God? Or do you want the service to get over and done with as soon as possible? Years ago, my wife and I were in one of the biggest churches in Hong Kong. And we got an excellent preacher. Man of God who expounded God's word to us. But he would say to the congregation often, you want me to finish the sermon earlier because you have booked your table for young child lunch just in the restaurant nearby. I won't mention which one. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, with such an excellent exposition of God's word, with such a man of God, who won his sermon to finish earlier? Well, that's the human heart. There's this alienation. Adam and Eve didn't want God. They want to stay away from Him as far as possible. And my dear friend, that's why it is so difficult, it's difficult to bring people to church, isn't it? You ask people, well, let's go to have coffee. And say, oh, people say, yes, we'll go with you. Well, how about we go to church? Oh, no, no. Oh, we, 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 we're not against God, but it's just not my cup of tea. Why is it so? Because of this deep alienation in the human heart. But it goes further than that. From that initial alienation, it leads to the enmity within the human heart against God. What's the difference between alienation and enmity? Alienation is, a, <laughs> I just don't want to stay near you. Amity is, I hate you. I can't stand your presence. And my dear friends, we see so much of that in our times. There is widespread prevalence atheism in the one Christian nation, like Germany, the Netherlands, Britain, Australia, America to some extent. 
And people are saved. Not just, I don't like atheism. But specifically, I don't like the God of the Bible. I hate who he is. What the God of the Bible is like. What the God of the Bible asks of me. I don't want to let God control my life. I don't want to receive the mercies of the God of the Bible and live in dependence on Him. This atheism in the West especially is specifically an enmity against the God of the Bible. You notice, plenty, many, many Westerners are happy to go along with all the kinds of spiritualities and religions. The specific hatred and enmity is against the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they don't know even why. But there's this deep enmity against the God of the Bible. Why such anger against God if there's no God? How can you be angry with something that doesn't even exist? Oh, the modern man is so angry with the God of the Bible. And friends, let's be honest. Troubles, illnesses, wars, even death itself per se, they do not draw people to the God of the Bible. Rather the opposite. When misfortune fought upon unbelieving people, the natural response is further anger against the God of the Bible, specifically. A man's enmity against God is aggravated by his own sinful deeds and behavior. There's a Bible verse in Colossians 1.21, which is spot on about this phenomenon. You look at it, it's so contemporary. Paul is there saying to Christian people in Colossae, Colossians 1.21, you and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind, by wicked works. You see what I've been saying to you just from the Bible. Can't you see? You Christian people, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your mind against God by wicked works. The more we sin, the more we rebel against God, the more we hate Him. And that's the law. The more you disobey God, the more you're going to hate God. And that's why, as our Western civilization, I, I'll talk about that first and foremost, because we're living in this culture, that the more we are rebellious against God, the more we sin against God, the more immoral we are, the more we hate God. 
It cannot but be so. Someone who is uh, grossly moral, violent, and so on, they can have religion. Oh yes. But they cannot have the religion of the Bible. In days gone by, the gangsters in Hong Kong, before they walk the bank or, or kill someone, they would worship a particular uh, idol of violence. They believe in the gods. They believe in the god of power to protect them. And even before they went out to commit a crime, they would pray to this God and ask for protection. Give us success as we rob the bank. But friends, you know, when they come to know the God of the Bible, they would not like to rob the bank. Strange, isn't it? They cannot pray to the God of the Bible, well, Lord, in Jesus' name, please help me to find another mistress in addition to my wife. It won't happen like that. Why? Terrible. Because the God of the Bible is real. So our own sins aggravate our enmity against God. I will start with that. And what is God's reaction against all this? What does the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches us. Because God is who He is. He's holy and just. He cannot ban his laws. He cannot say unrighteousness is, is good. He cannot say evil is holy. God is wholeheartedly opposed to sins and rebellion against him. The God of the Bible is dead against sin. He's opposed to it. He cannot but be opposed to it. If I may put it like this, even on a human level, take a God in righteous man, and you take that person to some wet light disgrace, to dance of iniquities. How is he going to feel? He's not going to feel good. He's not going to say, oh, well, that's, that's, that's wonderful. I can have a few more beer and get drunk and, and, and just be crazy. No. He'll be disgusted. He'll be angry. He would like to get out of those other places as soon as possible. And if he got the power, he would stop all those nonsense. Won't you? My dear friends, let me ask you. This morning, if you are a Christian man and woman, and suppose you were the absolute monarch in this country, would you not be using your power to stop all those things? I would. I would. That's, that's what happened in Geneva. 
Under John Calvin, he preached the gospel, he, he got the years of the counselors later on, and he tries best to stop gambling, prostitution, all kinds of evil. He tried to reform the city, clean up the city, literally. Oh, some people hate it. I said, God is opposed to sin. And we see that in the life of our Lord Jesus. Do we not? This evening, we're going to look at how Jesus, our Lord, cleansed the temple two times. Our Lord Jesus, when he saw evils, even evils in its finest form, what was that? It was an externalistic, formalistic, hypocritical religion of the Pharisees and the scribes. Oh, they, they dressed nicely, they, they were all well religious, but it was all for show. What was Jesus wearing? He denounced it. He cleansed the temple. He couldn't stand that. And that's what God is like. He's opposed to sin and evil. And my dear friend, that is the heart of our alienation and enmity against God. And that is God's, at the heart of God's opposition to us as sinners. That's the matter. That's the barrier between the relationship. But God is something. What happened? What has God done? God did something to take away the barrier and the matter of sin. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Paul says, When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Before we believed in the Lord Jesus, we were God's enemies. But God unilaterally did something. He reconciled sinners to himself through the death of his son. Colossians 1, verses 19 to 20. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. The holy and righteous God himself took away the offense, took away the barrier by the blood of his son. Through Christ and his death and his shed blood, the offense was taken away. So that we can be reconciled to him. My dear friends, without the blood of Christ, we can never be reconciled to God. But with the blood of Christ, we can be reconciled to God. And what is so amazing and so beautiful here is this. God 
provides what he requires. We have looked at this again and again in our studies over the past few weeks. What God requires, he provides. God requires perfect righteousness in us, he provides that righteousness in his son. God requires the damnation and the curse of sin. He provides that by cursing His Son, condemning sin in His Son. God requires the barrier, the sin, to be taken away. He provides for that by the blood of Christ. My friends, the language of the Bible is this. I won't give you all the Bible references. But the Word of God says, Christ is our peace. And we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Through the blood of the cross. Not just blood, but the blood of the cross. The blood of the damnation of Jesus. And we are peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so on. Now, dear friends, this is what God has done for the reconciliation. But there's something that you must do. You say, what is that? We must receive God's offer of reconciliation. The holy and the righteous God is offering reconciliation to us all, to the foulest and the vilest. No matter what your life has been like up to this point, God is offering you the reconciliation. But you must receive. And I want to ask you, friends, this morning. You ask yourself, am I a friend of God? Is he my Father who is in heaven? Have I been reconciled to God already? What is your answer? What is your answer? Before you walk out of this building, I want you, my friends, to be able to say, now, I'm reconciled to God. Now, I trust in the blood of Jesus. Now, I know God to be my Father. And my Father, who is in heaven. Can you say that, my dear friends? And if not, why not? 
What's holding you back? What's the matter? Can't you see this God of the Bible is so good and gracious and just and merciful? Why would you not entrust yourself to such a God? Why are you still holding back and saying, well, not this morning? Why not this morning? Why do you need to hold back from He who is absolutely pure and good? And friends, if I can pay you, which I can't do, but I will beg you, friends, be reconciled to God. You know, this is what Paul was doing in common, as he said in 2 Corinthians. He'll be going up and down the town, and common was a terrible town, a prosperous town, but a city of prostitution, and all kinds of crooks and chicks and, and thieves and robbers. And Paul was saying to them, be reconciled to God. Christ, the Son of God, has died for sinners. Now you be reconciled to Him. And many talk about the offer. And friends, I want you to be reconciled to God. Do so. Do not leave this building without doing so. And I want to go further. Some of you are saying, well, Pastor Pelvis, so many times, you say this to us every week, yes, I'm saying this to you every week, and I keep on saying to you every week, as long as I see you, as long as you are here, you only hear this. But some of you may be complacent. You say, oh, well, yes, I believe. I take the Lord's Supper. I'm a Christian, I'm baptized, I'm okay. Have you been reconciled to God? If you have, one clear evidence is that you will long for holy communion with God. I don't refer to the Lord's Supper as a sacrament. I refer to that heart of a reconciled person with God. And that person will say from his heart, one thing I want is to know God, to have communion with Him. Is it you? Is that you, my dear friends? Is that you? I hope so. Remember that in William Calvary he says, Lord, my chief complaint is that my love for you is so small and faint. The chief complaint of a Christian heart is saying to God, I want to know you, but I know so little about you. I want holy communion with you, but I know so little of you. Lord, I want more of you, but I know so little of you. You love me, and I, I do love you, but my love for you is so little, Lord. That's my concern. I want to know you. I want heaven to be opened, and you come down and sup with me. Is that your desire, my dear friends? And I say this to you, my Christian friend. We ought to be like that. We are reconciled to God. He's our father, he's our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. We sing that hymn.
all our sorrow and trouble go. Now lastly, you know, next week we're going to start a new program called Two Ways to Lead. And we're going to learn how to share the gospel with other people. You'll be helpful. But friends, I want to say this to you and to myself. As we share the gospel with other people, do we come across as a gracious, loving, and forgiving people? We as Christ people, we have been reconciled to God by the blood of the cross. Of necessity, we must be gracious, loving, and forgiving people. Do we come across to people as gracious and loving and forgiving? There's nothing so terrible as an aggressive, abrasive, unforgiving Christian. We must be a forgiving people if we are truly reconciled to God. And friends, I'll end with this. We are reconciled people with God. And if we're fighting in our home, in the church, that is an utter contradiction to the gospel. The one great stumbling block to unbelievers believing in Jesus is they see Christians fighting themselves. Maybe in the church, maybe in the family. How can we tell people the message of reconciliation when we are not willing to be reconciled with our brothers and sisters in the world. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, this morning's hot, but may we have a burning heart that we may feel your love for us, your love in Christ. And I pray, Lord God, for those among us who are still astray from you. May you be pleased to speak to them that they may be reconciled to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord.